Hi, I'm Craig. And I'm Linda. And this is the Indie Travel Podcast at IndieTravelPodcast.com. This week it's episode 289, and we're talking about five tips for new travellers. And we're also talking about what we've been up to this week, travelling around the Balkans. And to start off, here's the sound of a rooster that we heard in the fortress at Berat. So he started this week in Albania, then moved into uh, Kosovo, and then up into where we are now, Macedonia. Where down we're into, really. Down, yeah, I guess so. We were staying at Urban Hostel. Yeah, and that's where we're recording this uh, podcast. We're actually in our room, which is downstairs. From our room, you can go outside if you want to, and that's kind of the, the garden area. But then right above us is another dorm, and there's a big lounge area. So if you hear kind of laughing and people moving around, then that's why, because we're in a hostel. Yeah, and it's a great place to be. But let's cycle back to uh, Berat, where we got off the bus, crossed a little pedestrian bridge, and then started up the only street that we could see in order to get to our last hostel. I think we told you last week that we hadn't planned to go to Berat. It was a a last-minute decision. We were going to go to Orid, which is in Macedonia, where we are now. But the only bus connection we could get from Tirana was going to get us there in the middle of the night. We just said no. And we'd heard that south the southern part of albania was really nice so we decided to go to Berat, and uh, it was it was great very pretty little town we uh on our first day we climbed up a hill got a bit lost that was great on the second day we climbed up another hill uh this was the fortress and it's actually a citadel so a lot of people live up there and there weren't very many people there when we were when we were wandering around a couple of tourists some locals selling um handicrafts but that was about it Yeah, I don't think many people work up there, but we got told there was a population of about 1,200 that live there. Mm -hmm. But uh, there's no there's no work there unless you're kind of selling things to uh, to the tourists that pass by. Yeah, I think there was one cafe, and I don't know if that's doing very well. But it must be a difficult climb to and from the from your house every day. Yeah, absolutely. We saw lots of people going up on scooters because it was a steep climb. the Balkans are basically a whole lot of valleys between mountains. It seems that's, like it. That's what most of the landscape is. And so when you're um, going to any town, it's often uh, there because there was a fortress on a hill above the bend in the river or because there was a hill which had some plains around it, uh, which gave good visibility and also the ability to grow crops and things like that. So, yeah, when you're visiting, you do see a lot of the same kind of pattern cropping Mm -hmm. up again and again. Well, we really liked Berat, and we really liked this one restaurant, which was actually a little, just a tiny little way up the hill towards the fortress. And we went there on Sunday night and on Monday night for amazing food at a spectacularly low price. So that was our little local restaurant that we went to. On Tuesday, we had to go back to Tirana and then transfer, catch another bus to Pristina, which was our next destination. Now, we'd been told that there was a bus at 11.30, so we got there at 11.20, and uh, there was a man going, Tirana, 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 as if we were selling apples or something. And so we got on the bus. He said, we'll be going in 15 minutes. But we must must have misunderstood because we waited for 45 minutes. (laughs) Maybe he said 50. I'm sure he said 50. (laughs) I think it's just that flexible use of time that you need to get used to when you're traveling in this region. So we arrived quite a lot later than we would have liked. Hopped on a local bus to kind of cross town to get to the, another, to the next place. We had to catch another bus and just had time to buy a souvlaki. Didn't have time to finish it in my case, but, you know, got to buy one. And then we we're on another bus. And that bus journey was really spectacular, really steep 
mountains and the motorway was amazing, really well built. Um, in Albania, the roads hadn't been that great, but this this one motorway was in Albania. It was really good. It was in sections. So there was one section that hadn't been built yet or maybe isn't going to, I don't know, but most of it was really great. And the border crossing between Albania and Kosovo was fine. We didn't have any problems. It was a bit slow, but uh, some people got on, took our passports, got off. We drove yes, a bit. People got on. <laughs> pretty smooth. Yeah. And the same thing going from Kosovo into Macedonia to mm-hmm. come here. But um, uh, Pristina surprised me. It's, you know, you, when I think of Kosovo, I think of Kosovo when I was a kid and it was in the news as an mm-hmm. active war zone. 99. So, yeah. So... I was imagining that, and it's nothing like that. It's a modern that. European the, city. It really is. It would not have looked... The, the central pedestrianized bit of the, the square would not have looked out of place in Switzerland or Austria or anything like that. Lots of little cafes, and but the big difference is the price. I mean, for 10 euros, we both had three-course meals plus wine. Mm-hmm. Um, and try doing that in Switzerland or Austria. <laughs> yeah, and we, every morning we went to this one little cafe in the Green Market, our hostel, while well, we were staying in a guest house called Guest House out of Isa. And we had troubles getting there, actually, because the taxi driver from the bus station didn't know the name of the street. And I'd saved the, a Google map on my phone, but Ilazagushi, whatever it was called, didn't seem to appear it appeared a little tiny bit but then it disappeared and actually it's the main road through the green market and uh, our guest house is slightly behind the main buildings of the guest house and the uh, the main buildings of the green market and the stalls and things great location right in the center of things but we had trouble getting there anyway we made it and it was fine <laughs> and uh, the next morning we'd walk up the street and and we found this little cafe full of old men I was the only woman in the place. I was kind of unsure if I should be there, but the, the owner seemed happy with it. And we had a coffee each for a euro. Two coffees, one euro. It was amazing. Yeah, the prices here have been spectacular um, and perfect for budget travel. It's kind of the prices of Southeast Asia, um, but there's no really strongly developed tourism routes mm-hmm. or or places to go or things like that. So there's a lot to explore. Um, people aren't jaded by tourism like you'll find in southern Thailand or stuff like that. So it's, yeah, I'm really excited about the Balkans at the moment. Yeah, it's really annoying because we're leaving. <laughs> <laughs> there's so many places we want to explore. We knew when we started this trip that we were going to be running through. And the whole time we've been saying, oh, I wish we'd had time to do this. Or I wish we could have done that. But I, th- I think we've got a good overview and we'll definitely have to come back. Yeah, and Skopje in Macedonia was another place where, I mean, you've probably never heard of Skopje if you're listening to this, but it's the place where Mother Teresa's from and um, the region that Alexander the Great's from. So I'm mm-hmm. sure you've heard of those names. Yeah. So it's like, this is their city. Um, and it's... Uh, it's a crazy place at the moment. I was reading a guidebook from about five years ago. It was like, Macedonia Square is the central square, but it's completely empty. There's nothing, and the buildings have no architectural value. And you go in there now, and there's fountains and statues. And It's I- a beautiful square. It's really lovely. There's a huge fountain that does a light show, light and sound show every evening. And on the top of it is a huge, I mean, enormous statue of Alexander the Great on a horse, which apparently is quite weird because there aren't that many horses around and it's surrounded by lions, also strange. Anyway, 
There are so many statues in that square and in all of Skopje. <laughs> it's ridiculous. They About two years ago, they started a project called Skopje 2014. And apparently the 2014 is just the end date. It's, there's no there's no reason for it. It's just we want Skopje to be nice by 2014. That's the way I understand it. Uh, they're on target for it yeah. because I mean, there's a lot of buildings in development. And you look at the tourist map and about one third of the items has a little roadwork yes, sign next to so it. It's so funny. Saying that it's under development. Some yeah. of the things is just like on the map. Yeah. There's just like 3D CAD models of uh -huh. the building that will exist it was at hilarious this point on the map. Because I was looking at it, it's yeah, these big billboard-sized maps all over the city, and at the top and the bottom are buildings you should see. And I was looking at them going, yes, 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 no, I haven't seen that one. And then I realized it had the little roadwork sign next to it. Later we walked past one of them, and it, it's still under construction in a big way. You can see the shape of it, and you can see that it's the building that's going to be the one that you've seen on the map already, <laughs> but it isn't yet. <laughs> But yeah, we've had a great time eating Macedonian barbecue, oh, um, eating, well, I had a fantastic pizza last night, but it's really the, the grills and salads that have been winning for us. I really like that bean dish. They have the, mm. these little clay containers, I suppose, like pots that they cook beans in on the grill. They might put them in the oven, but we've seen them at grill restaurants. So they're grilling sausages and, and various things and heating up bread. And then there's these little pots of beans. So good. And, uh, yeah, we've just been enjoying wandering around, seeing things, going up to the fortress. Today we spent about three or four hours hiking on the mountains up above Skopje with great views. But a lot of smog, right? Yeah, and we did get a little bit lost. We were no, told no. We were told that there are two ways up to the cross. You can go uh, one way, which is kind of slow and easy, or you can go another way, which is uh, steep and difficult. And we thought that the left way was the slow, easy way. So there were three paths there. We didn't notice one because it looked like a road. We thought that's the road. So we took the left way, which was flat and uh, it had white stone on it. So we thought, yeah, that's it. And there were lots of local people walking along there, so that's good. To the right, well, in the middle, really, were some steps. And to the right was this road. Well, it turned out that the, the nice flat way went somewhere else entirely. A nice little summit, but, you know, not at all the cross. So uh, we went out there and we had our direct lunch that was fine and we came all the way back <laughs> and followed a random path that did eventually take us to the summit, which was very nice. Then we, we came down a very steep way, which turned out to be the steps way. And when we looked to our right, we noticed a lot of people coming down the road and the road, well, it's not much of a road. And actually, no vehicles are allowed to go up there. I think they need a special permit to just to access the cafes, you know, provision them. And that was the long, slow, easy way, and we just suck. Well, no, I mean, <laughs> why would you want to walk on a road uphill for two hours when you could walk through the forest and That's walk along true. hiking trails? I but mean, it, really. Well, it, it, they were quite difficult hiking trails. I yeah, mean, we, we that's slid, what makes it fun. We slid part of the way down. But I think we did it the right way. Going along the white path was great. It was a really nice walk. It was about 45 minutes to this little summit, maybe half an hour. And then we came back and went up a very nice, well-marked hiking trail that was great. But then on the way down, going down the steep way, that was a bit of a slippery slide. Well, I'm not sure if this is just going to sound like static or actually sound like something, but uh, we'll close this out with the sound of the water in the fountains as part of the, the kind of light and sound and fountain show at the statue of Alexander the Great in Macedonia Square. So today we're going to be talking about five tips for new travellers. 
Now, I wrote the notes for this show some time ago, so I was a bit, I don't know, frustrated when I saw this week that Sherry Ott had published a post called uh, Tips for First-Time Travellers on her blog, Ottsworld. I was like, no, no, oh my goodness, what bad timing. But actually, it's perfect timing because her tips are quite different to ours. And uh, we'll talk about one or two of hers at the end of the show. We've certainly learned a lot over the last, what did we work out the other day? It's been almost eight years yeah, of full-time travel. Yeah, well, by the time the beginning of February rolls around next year, it'll be eight years. So it's coming up awfully, awfully soon. And we have learned a lot and we've made a lot of mistakes along the way. In and fact, we that's the continue reason. to make a lot of mistakes along the way. And that's the reason we started this podcast. That was the whole reason. We made so many mistakes and we just wanted to tell people what not to do, how not to be as stupid as us. So we realized that we have... Um, We've posted a lot of destination podcasts recently, but we haven't gone back to the basics. How do you travel? <laughs> what do you do if you're sitting out traveling for the first time? What do you need to know? I mean, there's heaps of things. You can get a guidebook and you can read forums, but we've chosen five things that we think are among the most important things to know. So what's number one? The first of those is to pack light. And uh, this means to me, this means that you should only have one bag a carry-on size bag, and it should be less than 10 kilos. Yes, without a doubt. This is one thing that we learned the hard way. When we first started traveling, we had the full allowance for a traditional airline baggage allowance. So we both had big backpacks yeah. with enormous sleeping bags and the full carry-on allowance as well. Yeah, and camping gear, had like a little butane... Thing and, I don't think uh, we had butane because you can't take I, that. No, we didn't have that, but we had like the, the stove, the yeah. stove top part of it, and a lamp, lantern kind of part of it, and then yeah, camping cups and mugs I think we were imagining because all when, sorts before and, when oh. we travelled, we were both basically travelling around New Zealand. We did a lot of road trips and we did a lot of camping. So we thought, when you travel, this is what you do. That's not what you do. You <laughs> you really don't need very much stuff. A thirty-five litre backpack. Or if you prefer a wheelie bag or um, uh, a hybrid, which has got a backpack and wheels, that's all you need. You really don't need that much stuff. A couple of pairs of trousers. I like to have lots of pairs of undies because really having clean underwear is great. But, but um, you don't need that many clothes and you don't need that much stuff. I mean, we took all sorts of stupid stuff. We had an iron. Do not take an iron. I was thinking the other day about things that we no longer carry. And there's a lot. We don't have a, a travel um, washing line anymore. Uh, we don't have a pocket knife anymore because we travel carry-on size. But there are some things that we do still have, like our flat world cups and plates. They're really useful. Uh, we still have clothes, obviously. Good hiking shoes. What, yeah. what would you say would be your number one thing to take with you? Well, we are both voracious readers, and we have replaced about five kilograms of paper books mm -hmm. with a couple of Kindles and audiobooks. And so I think that's been one of the major baggage changes that allowed us to free up space, um, get rid of paper notebooks and replace them with uh, iPhone. Yep. Um, saying that, I just picked up a moleskin the other day from Go With O. Yeah, you've got to Thanks, have some Sarah. luxuries. No, um, you do but... need some luxuries. You do. I think you've got to choose your luxury or your, you can have one or two luxuries. But don't say, oh, I really need this. You don't need it. Yeah. I remember when I was packing, I had this really nice, pretty green cardigan. And it didn't go with anything else I owned. I had like one pair of jeans that it went with. I really shouldn't have taken that cardigan. And I did. And 
I had to give it away or leave it behind somewhere. And that's sad because I could have left it in New Zealand and had it when I went home. Mm. One of the big things that's taken up space in my bag this year has been shoes. Mm. Um, I ended up with my everyday um, kind of casual hiking shoes, plus a pair of specialist hiking sandals, plus a pair of black leather shoes for special occasions and meetings and things like that. And that was an absolute killer. So I posted uh, some of those home and it just freed up so much space and mm. weight in my bag immediately. Well, there are lots of packing lists online, so you can have a look there. We've put our packing lists on IndieTravelPodcast.com so you can see what we actually have with us. Some of these things are not advisable, but uh, just, yeah, really pack light and think carefully about every single item you put in your bag. The next trick is to not plan too much. And, I mean, you have to plan enough to to be safe and for you to feel secure with what you're doing and comfortable mm. with what you're doing. But, you know, the amount of times I've gone into a city or even a country without ever having read a page of a guidebook or a little bit of wiki travel or Wikipedia is countless. Thousands of times. It is, it is legion. Yeah, and it's great. I mean, it means you arrive without too much of an agenda. Yeah, like Craig said, it's really up to you how much you want to plan. We like to kind of buy our flights into an area and buy our flights out and say, okay, we've got three months in South America and we just have to make our way uh, from one point to the next. You might find saying, okay, I've got three days in, in one city and then not planning too much around that is, is kind of a, a helpful, safe place to start. But really don't plan your whole itinerary. Don't book every single hotel or hostel for your whole, if you've got a two-week trip. Don't, don't do that. Try to leave things a little bit flexible so that you can take opportunities as they come. For this Balkans trip that we're on at the moment, we did plan quite a lot, but we did make sure in the middle of the trip there were two or three nights that we had nothing planned for. So we had a bit of flexibility. So we could double back, so we could go somewhere else. It's and not entirely time, true. Well, no, this time we did book up most mm -hmm. of our accommodation in advance, mm -hmm. which is something we don't often do. But because we did that, we kept space free in the middle there. Yeah, that's true. Well, what actually happened was we planned to have four days in two places. And then we went, oh, well, actually, why don't we just split that in two and have two days in, in Tirana and two days in Podgorica, and, and then we'll have two days somewhere else. So, yeah, we did have flexibility that, that kind of by mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're traveling in high season, like big European cities in July and August, those places will be booked out when it comes to budget accommodation. Uh, and occasionally you run into a special event or a trade fair or something like that, and there is not a bed to be found. Mm -hmm. So while we're all for not planning, do plan to sleep. Yeah, that's tip number three. Do plan to sleep. Sleep is really important. You will not enjoy your holiday if you don't get enough sleep. Well, you might, but you might not remember it. We find that for us, sleeping is the most important thing we, we can do. So we try to find places to sleep where we can actually sleep. Not party hostels, not, I don't know, we don't plan, ever plan to sleep in airports or train stations or anything. One time we were on a we were doing a URL pass, so we had a, a train pass for Europe, and these passes allow you to hop on and hop off any train you like. Well, we came across a, a father and daughter who had an unlimited pass. I think they had it for fifteen days. I said, "Oh, so where are you going to go?" And they told me their itinerary. It was mad. They went from the south of Europe right up to the north and then back down. And 
they were trying to get as many kilometers as they could on the rails and uh, they weren't going to book sleeping compartments but they were going to try to sleep on the trains. They were just going to sleep in, in their seats. And I said, oh, my goodness. <laughs> wow. I think that it was unwise. It's much better to plan shorter travel days and sleep in a hotel or a hostel where you can actually get some sleep because then you can appreciate your destinations more. Yeah, by all means, have your nights out. Have, uh, have a great time. Get up early to see the sunset. No, the sunrise. I always get those confused. <laughs> Get up early to see the sunrise. Have fun, but if you're traveling for more than a week, plan a weekend. Plan a time to sleep sure. in and relax and not really do much. Otherwise, yeah. you'll uh, you'll end up a bit wrung out. We've found recently, for this trip especially, that we like to make sure to have at least two days in each place. So we're not changing bed every single day. When we first started traveling, we got a URL pass, one of these 15-day ones, and every single day we changed location. So we were in one city for the night. We, we got up and had breakfast. Then we went to another city, looked around, went to another city for lunch, went to another city to sleep. And it was absolutely exhausting. So uh, what we do now is we say, okay, we've got two nights in one place. We can use that middle day, to, if we've got a rail pass, to explore around the area, but come back to our, our sleeping place in the evening. And then we don't have to unpack twice and we don't have to pack again. It's kind of... Oh, just just makes life a little bit nicer. And it feels like you've got home for two days, you know. Next up, tip number four, be safe, but don't worry. That's right. Travel is safe. It really is. Most places you'll travel to will be safer than your hometown. Maybe not most places. Many places you'll travel to will be safer than your hometown. And the the thing that makes travel scary is that you don't know what the risks are. But you can read up and find out what those risks are. Most of the time, the the biggest risk is pickpocketing. And, you know, you can negate that risk by being careful with your belongings. Buy trousers with zip pockets. Uh, if you've got a shoulder bag, keep it in front of you. You know, there's lots of little tricks you can use. And uh, Craig and Craig Bedois have written a book just on this. So if you are a little bit worried about, about safety, then you should get the book Travel Safety. And, um, yeah, that, that will answer all your questions. Yeah, you can pick that up from the site, IndieTravelPodcast.com. And uh, if you do have any questions about travel safety, just fire them through yeah. to uh, mail at com or on Facebook, facebook.com slash IndieTravel. So yeah, I'd say do your research, but don't do too much research. Don't go too in-depth because the safety sites always give too much information and make everything seem scarier than it really is. Travel is not scary. There will be some scary moments, but there are some scary moments in your real life. Yeah, I mean, one of the things to check is government advisory websites. Um, and I've found that the the US and the Australian websites seem to be a lot more alarmist than the New Zealand or the British websites. Or the Canadian ones. Or the Canadian ones. So, um, you know, I've stopped reading the US government's advisories because quite often they are so out of whack with everyone else's. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I'd go find a more liberal country's um advisory list to take a look at but yeah I, I quite like canada and the uk and new zealand's they're all accessing the same data so it's interpretation of the data that they receive that mm -hmm. you're seeing so most of these tips so far have been about planning and packing and things like that but tip number five is a tip for on the road try everything while you're out there try everything this is your opportunity to try the world that is different to your world. The food is great, try sleeping in different places, 
if you've never stayed in a hostel, stay in a hostel, stay in a hotel, stay on a boat, try different things. When we first started traveling, we, we traveled in a tuk-tuk and it was expensive. I mean, it was a tourist price and it was stupid. And we could have gone, that was in Macau. If we'd gone to Thailand, it would have been absolutely normal and 30 cents. But you know, we enjoyed it because it was new and we were trying things. So that's tip number five, try everything. So as I said earlier, Sherry Ott also recently wrote a post called uh, Tips for First Time Travelers. And uh, many of her tips are similar to our ones, but one that we didn't mention, I really like, is don't judge. And uh, I thought that was, that was quite good. One thing that I learned last year, well, I've learned it before, is that everyone has a different lifestyle, everyone has a different way. We were walking a Camino de Santiago, and I picked up a book about, about the different Caminos. And one thing that really struck me, one thing that really jumped out at me from the book was this one line that said, everyone is walking his own Camino. And I thought, that's cool. Everyone is living their own life. Everyone is walking their own way. And that's true about everyone, everyone in the whole world. So if you go somewhere where people are doing things quite differently to what you're used to, don't judge them because you're judging according to your standards and that might not be a standard they can be judged by. So the indie travel tip of the week this week is to look at alternative ways of spending your accommodation money by uh, not spending it at <laughs> all. There's a whole lot of social networks and house swaps and home exchanges and all sorts of things that you can do in order to save money on accommodation and spend it on experiences. One of our favorite networks is Couchsurfing. Yeah, we love couch surfing because it connects you with local people. So you're staying in a local's home and you're their guest, basically. Now, it's important to remember that you're a guest, so be nice. <laughs> Offer to make a meal, spend time with your host. But I love it. It's really great. If you're not quite comfortable with staying with a stranger, you can contact someone on the network and just arrange for a coffee or a drink. And we've done that as well. In fact, one time when we were in the Czech Republic, we met up with a local guy and went to his games night. Since we love board games, that was perfect. We had a great evening together and we got to play board games in a random country. So that can be a nice little intermediate way of, of getting to know a local person without committing to staying with them. Well, that's it for this week. Until next week, travel well.